getting you set for everything Cardinals. In his second game as a Cardinal. Three home runs. This is the Redbird Report Show with Danny Mack. Out there. On 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler, the Kia powerhouse. Shop JimButlerKia.com. Welcome into the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. I'm Dan McLaughlin, and we do this every Monday at 6 on 101 ESPN. My guest tonight will include Eduardo Perez, ESPN analyst and former Cardinal. We'll get into his time growing up around the Big Red Machine and Sparky Anderson and playing for Tony La Russa and playing in the Gateway City. I'll visit with Tom Mee, the Cardinals director, what baseball may look like if we're not at the stadium and doing it from our homes or from a studio and having a world feed to cut the game from. Tom Mee will be my guest, the Cardinal Director of St. Louis Cardinals Broadcast. And you'll also hear a conversation that I had this morning with Randy Carricker and Michelle Smallman. But I'll start with Eduardo Perez and my conversation with Eduardo and getting baseball back and his time also calling games behind the mic doing KBO games. It's been an interesting run for Eduardo Perez, one of my favorites that came through St. Louis. Uh, I'm pumped up, pumped up to be with you because one guy that I always look up to and a good friend of mine that when I go to St. Louis, I make sure I stop by your booth is you. So it's an honor to be here with you. Well, it's an honor to visit with you. And and you were one of my favorite players when you played in St. Louis because uh, you were open, you were honest, and you came to the ballpark with a smile. And I, I wanted to bring that up because your your footsteps, man, were tough because you had to follow your dad, who's in the Hall of Fame. I know you loved him and still do and love being the son of a Hall of Famer, but how tough was that to follow your father? I'll tell you what, I think it was a lot easier at the beginning because when I was a Cardinal because he was yet in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> so Good I think point. that helped out a lot. Yeah, and, then, uh, and, and actually in a, in a series that we were in in Houston, um, Tony had come up to me like a week before and he said, I don't want you here. I don't want you in Houston next Sunday. You'll be with us Saturday. We have a day game. After that, work your way to Cooperstown. You need to be there with your dad. And he beat me to the punch. Um, he had feel for it. I loved him for it. And, um, and, and again, it's, uh, it, was, it was a wonderful occasion. But Danny Mac, I must say, I'm not only the son of Tony Perez, I'm also the son of Patuca Perez, and my mother never hit a fastball, let alone <laughs> a slider or a curveball. Yeah. So I, I felt that I had the best of two worlds. I had, I had the world of experience between the lines and the world of experience outside the lines, and that's what's helped me out more than anything. How about uh, playing in St. Louis and playing for Tony? What was your experience uh, like here in the Gateway City? I've always said it. It's um, It was the best place I ever played in. And I'm not saying it because I'm here interviewing with you um, and, and Cardinal and, you know, and, and Cardinals are listening to this. I say it because it's, it's w- when I signed, even before I signed, when they were interested in, in, in acquiring me, uh, my dad told me, he goes, if you have an opportunity to sign with the Cardinals and you have to take a lot less, do it because the fans there are unbelievable. They're knowledgeable about the game. I loved playing in St. Louis when we came in to visit as a Reds, uh, as a Reds player. The only thing he didn't like was facing Bob Gibson. I get it. Uh, so, <laughs> Uh, he has so much respect for the Cardinal fans, and as soon as I got there, um, I fell in love with I fell in love with wearing the Cardinal uniform. Eduardo Perez, uh, my guest. What was it like growing up in the the Big Red Machine clubhouse? What was that like for you? It was the only thing I ever knew. Uh, so for us, it was it was normal. 
it was normal that when the team was home, we would make sure that we would tell our moms, we have to get to the ballpark early. My mom is a, 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 a Latina woman that would want to get there. Literally, the game started at 7.05. She wanted to be there maybe at 7.10. And we were like, no, mom, that can't happen. So sometimes my brother and I would tell her, uh, mom, don't forget the game today starts at 6.30. So just to get us there a little bit earlier. And she knew what we were up to. <laughs> and she played along. And, and, and we loved her for it. But uh, we would get there early in order to be able not only to, to see the great, but also to get all over Bernie Stowe, who was the clubhouse um, attendant. And he loved us so much. He made sure he had gum for us. And if he did it, um, all, all of us kids, it was Pete Rose Jr., Ken Griffey Jr., his brother Craig, my brother Victor. I can go on and on with more kids. Um, we were there. Uh, ready to be in that clubhouse. And we knew that 30 minutes, about 45 minutes before a game, we had to be out, out of the clubhouse and we had to be sitting in, sitting in the stands watching the game. Wow. That's awesome. Um, Sparky, though, was he, was he good to you guys? Sparky was awesome. I think one of the biggest reasons everybody talks about, well, you know, you're the son of Tony Perez and he was the son of Ken Griffey and, and Pete Rose and, and on and on and on from Bourbon to uh, – the Geronimo's son was also there. Uh, we're also there. It was that Sparky would pull us in together in spring training at Al Lopez Field in Tampa, and he would he'd gather us and he'd let us know what the rules were. I mean, we were five, six, seven, eight years old, and he's letting us know what the rules are, what we have to do. And when we're watching the game and we saw that a call was not made in favor of the Reds. We had to yell at the umpire. <laughs> we had to we had to yell at him, you need glasses, hey. And not only and it's not like, hey blue, you need glasses. We would actually yell their names out. That's hey, awesome. Frank, meaning Frank Pulley. Right. You need glasses. <laughs> and it came back to haunt me, by the way, when I got to the big leagues, because Frank Pulley was behind the plate one day and he goes, Don't forget I remember hearing you as a kid when no. you were yelling at me. So the zone's a little bit bigger for you today. <laughs> but it was it was great. It really was. Eduardo Perez, uh, my guest. I, I mentioned you are one of the top analysts in baseball, and I, I sincerely mean that because you do come to the ballpark with a passion for the game and smiling. You're bilingual, so your access to the players is always going to be very, very good. Um, and now you're doing a sport. I don't know if you know Korean uh, language. But now you're talking about dealing with uh, the KBO. What, what has that been like, doing the KBO games uh, and doing it from your home or from a studio and not being on site for doing those games? Educational every which way you can mention it. Um, I, I got I to take you back to the first part of the question, when you, for the first part, what you were saying about uh, being bilingual. Uh, yes, you're right. Spanish is my first language. Um, I take pride in also being able to speak English well, but I think the most important thing for, for me is to be multicultural, Sure. to understand um, that even if you speak Spanish, I still want to know where you're from, what the, what the customs are, uh, where you came from. And that's why I spent a lot of time if it's in Colombia. I know the Venezuelans really well, the Dominicans, Cubans, Puerto Ricans, on and on. You can go from Panamanians on. But at the same time, it's also knowing different cultures within the United States. And um, that's the part that I take a lot of pride in. Um, I played in Japan also, so I learned that part of the culture. Um, I managed the World Cup in Europe, so I made sure that I learned also the culture of 
of players that are from the Netherlands, Italy, Spain, you name it. But now I'm getting into a different culture, which is the, the KBO, the Korean Baseball Organization. And I've learned so much uh, of, of the way business is done off the field, the way business has been done on the field, about players' work ethic, who the players are, um, who they look up to, and how they play their game. And, you know, observing the, the, the 10 teams in the league, from the NC Dinos to the Hanwha Eagles, um, I've learned so much about how they go about their business. Um, and, and I really enjoy it. The only part is we're actually breaking new ground by broadcasting these games from our homes. And um, it's a challenge, but it's a challenge that's made a, it's been made a lot easier because of the partners that I have. If it's Carl Ravitch or John Shambi, even Jason Benetti has now joined the group. And it, it's I take pride in being able to wake up at 3.30 in the morning and be on air at 5.30 in the morning Eastern uh, to broadcast not only to the United States and Canada, but all over the world. I mean, I ended up getting a pin board here that I am marking every time people tweet at me where they're from. I want to know where they're from. And I've gotten um, messages from Kenya in Africa, all the way from in the middle of the Atlantic, somebody watching the game on a boat from Hawaii, Alaska, Spain, Scotland, Japan, South Korea, even there, the Philippines. Uh, Thailand, and it is it is phenomenal that the reach that baseball has, and um, I get to be a part of it. And for that, I am grateful. Absolutely, you're doing such a good job with it too, and I, I mean that sincerely because I can't imagine how difficult it is. You know, having done this for a long time, not only just getting prepared to do a major league baseball game and doing it on site, but now you're talking about. Completely different names, different teams, different cultures, you mentioned. And, oh, by the way, you're doing it from your home. What, what's been the biggest um, hurdle you've had to get over trying to do a baseball game from your house? I feel that you can understand when I say this, and I'll try to explain it to the fan, is when we're watching a game, at least 80% of the time anyway, when I'm broadcasting a game, I'm looking at the monitor, even though I'm at the ballpark. But that 20% that I'm looking on the field – is more than 50%, it's, it's, it's more important than the monitor itself uh, because of the relationships that you create with the players before the game, the conversations you have with them that you can express and, and, and get to know uh, a little bit more about that player so you can express it to the fans. Um, the high home area where I want to know where the defense is aligned and they're playing deep and they're covering the line. If they're not, something as an analyst that I think is vital to be able to tell the, the fan even before it happens. It's easy to break down anything in a replay after it happens. But I've always taken pride of trying to teach the game ahead. And um, I grew up not only listening to Marty Brenneman and Joe Nuxaw in WLW radio in Cincinnati, but I also grew up when the Superstations came along. If it's WTBS, if it's, uh, if it's WOR, if it's WGN. And I remember when Steve Stone would always say, for you youngsters out there, and my ears would pop up like a little puppy. And, and I'm like, okay, what am I learning now? So I wanted to learn watching the game and, and, and seeing something that would happen before it happened. And when I got the opportunity to be able to broadcast um, outside a studio in the game, I wanted to bring that to the, to the, not only to the young generation, but also to the fans that are learning the game so they understand it because – I always taught, I always 
saw myself explaining it to my wife, who to this day is little by little, she's still learning the game and we've been married for 20 years. Right. Right. Um, Eduardo Perez, my guest, a- another question and, and I'll probably wrap it up with this, but in, in terms of no fans in the stands, what have you seen with that and how players feed off a crowd, but yet there's no crowd. What's that been like as you watch a, a two and a half, three hour, three and a half hour game? I would say it's more like a three and a half hour game, Danny Mac. Two and a half hour comes far in between. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Trust me, I know. <laughs> I get it. Uh, you know what? You know what? It, it, it's kind of fun because when we're doing these KBO games and everyone that I've spoken to before the season even started and during is like, man, wait till you see this when, when, when the fans are allowed to come back because it's festive. Um, we're, we're fortunate that each team in the KBO has gotten very creative. Um, sometimes we see behind the plate, we see the NC Dinos team, for example, they've sort of taken an adoptive presence and they're, they're aware of it that they're like, oh, everybody in the United States sees us as the North Carolina team because the NC Dinos. So they had all the, the mascots from the Carolinas, meaning all the minor league teams that are in the Carolinas, and even the collegiate teams, they had their mascots up uh, sitting, behind, sitting behind home plate so we could see it from the center field camera. Something creative. Uh, other, sometimes they have the fans' billboards out there. Um, I've seen organizations... In the in the in the bleachers, have behind the fence also have um, sold those seats to usual to, to fans to put their pictures on it. Um, I've seen major corporations use sections to provide more advertisement when we can see the the bigger picture of the stadium. So they've gotten creative when it comes to that. They understand the owners of those ten teams understand that they are losing money. But as one of us, uh, one of them told us, is it's not about now. We have to be able to make sure that not only are we nearsighted, but we're farsighted. And they understand that the brand is really important, and they are grateful that their brand is now reaching uh, places way outside of the peninsula of Korea, and they're they're reaching worldwide. So they understand how important it is uh, to the Kia Tigers, to the Samsung Lions, to the SK Wyverns. By the way, a Wyvern, I don't know if you know, is a dragon. And right now they're limping at 12 and 23. But but the graphics that they use when the stands are packed, it's all about the fan experience. And that's one thing that the KBO has put first and foremost is the fans. And I hope we learn that here in the United States that the fans come first. Yeah, and that's where I'm going to wrap it up with you. In terms of coming back and having baseball, and we're going to have some form of it, um, can this be done? I mean, just logistically, from what the KBO is doing and some of the other leagues across the, the world that they're doing in soccer and, and some of the other things, golf returning this weekend, um, can this be done, in your opinion, with Major League Baseball? It can but we have to throw that ego outside the door. This is not a collective bargaining agreement uh, that, that's due up this year right now. That's due up next year, December 1st of 2021. This is about um, getting together, especially uh, where our country is now. A lot of people are nervous out there. They're nervous for their health. They're nervous uh, because of the racial situation. They're nervous for so many, so many legit reasons. And I feel that there's one game that has been there always to unite people, and that is baseball. And I am hoping 
I am hoping as a baseball fan and I am pleading as an ex-player and I'm pleading as a broadcaster uh, that and a person that's lived and has had food put on the table because of baseball since I was a baby. Um, and I owe my, I owe everything I do to the game of baseball uh, because of what it provided for my father and what's provided for my family now. Uh, so I'm hoping that we can set aside um, that ego and, and understand that it is important, as the Koreans said, for the, for the purpose of the fans. And also, look, your brand is going to be better if we play the game. Let's just do it. Let's sacrifice a little bit of what we have. And let's be grateful that we have the opportunity not only to own a team, but also to wear the uniform of a team. So well put. You do such a great job. Miss seeing you here in St. Louis, but uh, I'll be tuned in. I'm watching the KBO, so I might have to text you to get a shout out. You know, I mean, I, I just you're gonna have to make me feel Wait, good if early. I'm watching. You know, put your, put your alarm on. Not, not only that, Danny Mac, <laughs> I might I might have to bring up a picture of yours or something. Just have it here in the background. <laughs> just have it here in the background. This is a constant reminder. I have a picture, by the way, of you and I. Um, I'm wearing your glove. I'm in a suit. You're laughing, and Fernando Vina is holding the microphone, interviewing both of us. I have to. I'll. I'll actually take a picture Send of the picture. I will. Send that to me. And Tuesday morning, it'll be right here for everyone to watch. <laughs> Five thirty in the morning. You wake up. Four thirty, uh, St. Louis time. You wake up. Well, it'll be. You'll be on. I watch it, so it'll probably. I'll. I'll see it. So that's great. Hey, man, it's awesome catching up with you. And stay safe, stay healthy, and keep doing what you're doing, which is just incredible work. And thanks so much. Thank you. Up next, it's a visit with Tom Mead. This is the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. We are right back to it. More Cardinals talk right now. This is the Redbird Report with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler Kia. We continue on 101 ESPN and a chance to visit with one of my favorite people to visit with, whether it be in the baseball season, the hockey season, we've done basketball together, and you've heard his name time and again because we talk about him a lot on the air, the great job that he's done over the years and many, many years being inside what we call the truck, the television truck, the mobile unit, and that is Tom Mee, who's been a longtime director and producer of St. Louis Cardinals baseball Blues hockey, Billikens basketball, even football that's been on the air as well. Tom, I miss seeing you, man. It's great to hear your voice. How are things going? I miss you too, my friend. It's going good, actually. I mean, getting to spend time. I have six grandkids, and three of them are here. Three of them are in Minnesota. So spend a lot of time with them here and a lot of face time for the kids in Minnesota. It's it's all right. You know, I know we've all done a lot of thinking about what this may look like, and I get asked all the time, what what is a TV game going to look like if the broadcasters, let's say the announcers, can't be on site and the truck can't be on site and you're trying to do it off television? I think it would be fascinating to hear your viewpoint. What, what do you think this will be like if indeed that's what happens with sports moving forward, at least in the COVID age? I think there will be a noticeable difference between home telecasts and road telecasts. We are not traveling this year, so we will be doing the road telecasts out of Channel 9, having no control of the game cut. Home games, I'll be cutting cameras and, and uh, we'll have a little more control. But when you, it's scary to me that you don't have control over the game cut. I mean, we'll have a couple of wide-angle lockdowns that we can use for uh, cutaways to full page graphics or, or whatever but 
it's going to be every director cuts the game differently. So there's a there's going to be a noticeable difference between the home cut and the road cut. Now I'm not saying somebody's cut is bad or somebody cut is good. Everybody's good, but it's going to be you'll you'll notice it at home. You'll notice a difference in, in the cutting. When, when people hear you say cut the game, and you've written a book on this, cutting the game, literally, it's called cutting the game. Um, Tell me what that means for the average fan out there that's listening when they're watching on their television. When you're cutting the game, what does that mean? Uh, at home, let's use home, let's use Bush Stadium for example. Uh, I'll have nine manned cameras and six. They're called beauties. Each camera has a certain responsibility or responsibilities. When a ball is put in play, if there's runners on bases, there's more responsibilities and there's more things to cut. If there's nobody on base. The pitcher come in from center field. The guy will hit the ball, go to the high home camera, wait for the outfielder to pick up the base hit if it's a single, and then cut to the big guy who got the base hit as he rounds first base, for example. Now, that's trying to stay positive. I always show the winner. I always show the winner of the situation. Baseball has more one-on-one situations than any other sport. Every pitch is a one-on-one situation. So, for example, if the batter hits a fly ball and the outfielder catches it for the out, I go to the pitcher. He won the battle. The road, I have no control over the game cut. None. Now, I'm, I'm, I know a lot. Of course, I know all the directors in the National League, and I, I get some of their styles, but I'm not going to be able to jump into their cut without possibly having a whip pan or whatever. You don't want any of that. You want your, your cut to be as clean as possible. So let me ask you this. A lot of people are talking about listening or watching a game without crowd noise. What, What do you think that we could do to try to enhance that and enhance the broadcast as much as we can to make you feel like you're at the game with the crowd? Or do you think that won't be part of it? What What's your thought on that? That's going to be the biggest notice, uh, the big, biggest thing noticed by the viewer and by you and your analyst and me and the producer in the truck. I mean, we're so lucky at home games at Bush. We got 40,000 every game, and we feed that. I mean, it's like Bush Stadium, 40,000 fans. Oh, where are we going? We're going to Miami. Oh, great. There's 12,000 <laughs> fans there, but at least 8,000 are Cardinal fans. Right, you right. Feed off the, you do feed off the crowd. I mean, I get pumped up when it's a tight situation and the crowd's getting into it. You're getting into it. You're feeding off the crowd. That's going to be a noticeable, noticeable difference. And it's one thing that I know I am going to have to learn from. I'll still get pumped up in a game-winning situation, bottom of the night tie game, Cardinals, everyone in scoring position, one out. I'm pumped. But the crowd getting into it really, really helps pump you up. Tommy is our longtime director of blues hockey and, and Cardinal baseball Billikens basketball, college football, he's done the NBA. So we're going to see this across sports. Do you think, though, we'll pipe in crowd uh, one way or another, or do you think we just let it play out how it, it's appearing in the stadium? I, I've i heard that there's a possibility we'll pipe in crowd. I hope not. I, you'd have to have a super, super good audio guy to do it. I, I don't know. I just think it would be too phony. I, I think you'd get caught too many times, and yeah. it would it'd be embarrassing. Uh, to me, it would be. Do you think that you have to go wider angles with what you're showing uh, the viewer at home because the announcer has to see you know, the field or the, the ice, the rink, the basketball court? Um, do, you, do you go to wider angles, and will the game be presented a little bit differently in that regard too? Well, for uh, you on home games – 
you know how you and I always work well together. You say, show me the defense or whatever. But on, on world games, they are going to give a monitor for you and the color analysts that'll have a all nine shows the whole field lockdown camera. So you'll be able to see the defense. You'll be able to see, you know, how you judge uh, deep fly balls. You look at the outfielder, see if he's given up on it or if he's going to get it. So you'll have that one monitor. However, it's not going to be a man monitor. Uh, and it's like with you and your play-by-play call, you don't, you're so good, Dan, you don't notice a difference in your call, whether you're in Washington, D.C. or Pittsburgh, where you're up in the stars, right. or Wrigley, where you're down low. You, there's no difference. This, this will be tougher, uh, I, I believe, tougher on your call because you're just going to have that one monitor to, that you'll have to check out throughout each inning. Uh, sure. Although you're, you're, you're going to be calling the game, but what you see on the cut, Right. Whereas, and it's not my cut, and you and I know where we're going. I know where you're going. You know where I'm going. Working together for such a long time, it's, we're a team. But on the road telecast, you're going to go by that person, that director's cut, and it's different. It'll be totally different. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be bad. It's just going to be different. How about if we're on the road, let's say, and I'm in the studio, and you're in the studio or in the truck. And as you said, you're getting the opposing team's feed, but yet we're talking about Mike Shield. You know, something happened with the team, and usually you'll go to Mike Shield if we're talking about Mike, or you'll go to Paul Goldschmidt if we're talking about Paul, or you'll go to Harrison Bader if we're talking about Bader in center. Will you have the ability with any of your cameras that are solely dedicated to you to potentially go to those shots to to try to enhance the, the viewer experience at home? As of right now, no. Now we've had a Zoom meeting last Thursday. We have one this Thursday, and I'll bring. I'm going to bring that up. That's a good question, but I, I, I say no. Yeah. I, I don't think so. Uh, but one good thing about the game of baseball is, like I say, there's winners and there's losers. So if Paul DeYoung makes a great play at shortstop, you can continue talking about it because you know, out of the replay, they're going to show, hopefully, Paul DeYoung. Right. Or if, if. Uh, Somebody hits a home run in either team. You know, coming out of the replay, they're going to find him. Probably go back to him more during the next, the following at bat for a few times anyway. So that'll that'll be something that we can all agree on. Sure. Tom, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. And the way I've been saying it to anybody that's asked is, I'm going in with a great attitude. I understand these are not ideal circumstances. But you know what? It's great to have baseball back or sports back. It gives... Uh, folks at home, a diversion and what we're all dealing with. So it's a blank canvas. If if you had a way to draw it up and you had a blank canvas to do this and you've been in this a long, long time, not to not to make you sound old, Tom, you just you've been doing it a long <laughs> time. So, you know, do, do you want to see mic'd up players? Is that feasible? Do you want to have more cameras at your disposal? Do you want to have more crowd, even though there's not crowd? But what I mean is the atmosphere of um, the, the dugout so you can hear some of that and some of it may be colorful language, whatever the case may be. Blank canvas, what, what do you want to see happen with these games? I'd love, I've always wanted players to be mic'd. And I think baseball is a unique opportunity uh, in this season because there's not going to be anybody in the stands at least until September. And even then, I don't think they'll allow a football for yet. I don't know. But mic'd on, on home games, well, actually, there's, there's only one feed going out of every ballpark. So the one feed is responsible. Mike, the players, you'll have a tape producer who will edit down comments that are arable. 
and slip them into your telecast. Get a mm-hmm. get a fr- get a front end sounds of the game or whatever. So, and I'd love to see that. I mean, uh, you and I have talked before. You know, I'd love to hear no doubt the pitching coach talking to the reliever in the top of the ninth inning. Blah blah. What what are they saying on the mound? We can't do it because of giving away secrets or whatever. But that would be a great little piece for your pregame show and postgame show. Here's what. Here's the last batter of the game, and this pitching coach told him, don't throw him a fastball, and he threw him a fastball, and they lost the game. Something like that. Sure. I think that'd be awesome. I, I'm really curious, too, about with no fans in the seats, so cameras aren't blocking the the paying customers, so to speak, a fan that would be at a game in a quote-unquote normal season. So do you see, Tom, that, that we'll have really unique camera angles that make this kind of fun, too, the stuff that we've never been able to do before? Yeah, I think we can do some lower cameras. I think right now Major League Baseball is talking about not having manned cameras in the dugout, so we'll have robotic cameras there. But that's not 100%. I've, I've, heard, I've heard that they also are thinking about it. But as of right now, they're, they're talking robotic cameras in the dugouts. But your, cam- your mid-cameras in the stands, yeah, there are certain positions where the cable boxes are, but you can put them anywhere. And yeah, you can get some unique looks. I think that's something that they should look at for sure. Finally, uh, you were part of the season of 98. We both were around at that time, and there's a documentary coming up on McGuire and Sosa. You changed the way that co- that home runs have been cut and how you did it with Mark McGuire. Maybe explain that to a fan as we wrap it up, what you tried to do to capture the just the essence of what that season and what a McGuire at bat was all about. Well, thank you for noticing that. I, baseball used to, coverage used to be pitch from center field, guy hits a home run, you see three angles of the ball going over the fence, and then you go to the home run hitter. I only need one look at the ball going over the fence, unless, of course, it's a moonshot. But when McGuire came up, and Pujols was the same way, when they came up, something was going to happen. So that's where you work your ISO cameras. Put a camera on the manager. You put a camera on the pitcher. In, in in fact, when uh, there was a runner on first base, when Pujols was batting, my pickoff was from the high home camera, not the mid-first camera like usual, because Albert's up, something's going to happen. And they're not going to throw to first base when Albert's up because Albert's, they're not going to steal when he's up. Anyway, so I changed the ISO selection when McGuire came up to hit in, in 98. And it's, a, it's great that you asked that question because – Without fans in the stands, yep. the director's home run cut is going to be totally changed. When I had Bush Stadium, a Cardinal hits a home run. The crowd shots are great, but there's not going to be any. So I've, and I've thought about this. There's different ways that I can cut this. The reaction dugout, for example, which I would use anyway, but I may have to use it more because I can't shoot any fans going crazy. Well, you could, you could get the opposing pitcher, I'm sure. You can get the opposing dugout. You get the... The guy, right. you know, you get the the home run hitter, you get the home run uh, uh, hitter's team, and hopefully you have Jose Martinez come back and start doing backflips in the dugout, and then we have that something to talk about. <laughs> you never know. You might get there's, one of those, too. There's going to be one other change for my cut at Bush Stadium this year. I have rarely put a camera in the visitor's dugout. Yeah. The star players, I'll get them at the plate. I can I can still shoot the dugout from like mid first into third base dugout. Well now because it's a world feed and it's one feed, I will have a camera in that dugout. Looking forward to it. I miss you, buddy. I can't wait to get back and start doing some baseball again. I know fans appreciate your work over the years. The unsung heroes 
of the telecast behind the scenes yourself brian shapiro the men and women of our crew you guys do just an amazing job so stay safe stay healthy and i'm sure we're going to catch up soon thank you dan i can't wait to get back in that truck with you in the booth it's going to be awesome we are right back to it more cardinals talk right now this is the redbird report with danny mack on 101 espn brought to you by jim butler kia This is the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. Every Monday, every Wednesday, every Friday, I'll make an appearance with Randy and Michelle. It's Ribs and BK on Wednesday, and then the Fast Lane on Friday. This morning on with Randy and Michelle to talk about the latest state and where we're at with Major League Baseball. So my prediction, Danny Mac, is this. The... Hockey people are already saying that they're going to start training camp on July 10th. I'm predicting the spring training starts on July 10th. We do a three-week spring training and start right around the first week in August, play two months, a couple of days off for the players, and then start the playoffs and get them done by the end of October. So then you're done by the end of September with regular season, get you, so then no expanded playoffs. Right. So because that won't be, this is going to be, be the implemented schedule. And they, I'm thinking about 54 games. Here's, well, that's one way, and I'll throw this one at you. How about if the owners are going to give a little bit so that the future negotiations could be a little softer? That'd be better. Mm-hmm. To make it a little bit easier so that we can have baseball in 2022 and beyond, um, I still go back to full salary, prorated salaries for the players. Uh, you get to 72 games roughly and full salary prorated. And let's say 20 games or so are, are going to be deferred over a two-year period and that'll be paid because owners will expand. That'd be great, but I think you need to get that done today or tomorrow. Probably. Right? Because you would need to start spring I, I training. I think you could do it, though. Yeah, to get 72 games in and finish your season before October. You talk about an olive branch, though. That would yeah. be it. Yeah. So you'd have to start your season in mid-July. Fine. So I guess you still have some time there. Now, I, I'm... Do, I, I'm very would, hopeful yeah. that that would happen. Now, reading the tea leaves, it doesn't seem like yeah. either side is going to give no. one bit. No. But you'd have to. The reason I say today or tomorrow is because then you'd start spring training basically on June 22nd, 23rd, 24th. That'd give you a three week spring training leading up to mid July and give you two and a half months to get those 72 games in. Now, guys, here's my biggest concern is that we, we see this bickering and fighting, and I believe me, nobody wants to hear it because everywhere I go, I, I'm telling you, man, it's not even about baseball anymore that people are talking to me about it. It's people are just sick of hearing about the money. I, mm-hmm. I was at a place last night, and people are just like, I'm done. I, I don't want to hear about it. I am so sick of it. And, um, and, and we may get to where the owners slam it down the players' throats, which is probably going to happen. Um, and one way or another, we're going to have a season and a schedule. And, and it may not even be able to get pulled off. You yeah. know, and you're going to have all this bad PR. It, it's going to be very tough for all these leagues to even pull this thing off logistically, especially baseball, if you're not in a bubble and trying to go to all these different cities and municipalities with the CDC guidelines to get this thing done. It's going to be very, very hard to do. Very hard to do. I mean, you start looking at the guidelines and what's been issued by Major League Baseball to make it work for the Players Association, um, for what they're trying to do for the health concerns. 
I'm telling you, man, it's going to be tough to do. It really is. And and it's not – I've been saying it from day one since I started doing this show and even talking with you guys. It's not as easy as just rolling the ball out and saying, well, here we go. And you're also – and this is no disrespect to the players. This is in every walk of life. You're also just counting on young men being responsible. And yeah. are we are we as general – just general society, are we being responsible? I mean, we're opening up cities across the country. Is everybody being responsible? I'm not seeing it everywhere I go. Um, Me either. Coming up, I'll wrap up the show, the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. More of the Cardinals talk you know and love. This is the Redbird Report with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler Kia. That does it for the Redbird Report. Many thanks to Eduardo Perez as well as Tom Mee. A reminder that we do this every Monday at 6 as we take a look at the week that was in baseball, and we hope that we have baseball to talk about at some point in 2020. I'll talk to you next Monday on the Redbird Report and also tomorrow at 10 on Scoops with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN. That was the Danny Mac Report on 101 ESPN, brought to you by Jim Butler, the Kia powerhouse. Shop JimButlerKia.com.